Dave and Jeff. It is October 18th, 2021. Well, I tell you what, Dave, I know uh, earlier today he was on Coach's show because he's the kind of guy who gets his pants dirty. Uh, but this is my favorite This is my favorite time of year. I was just telling a friend of mine, I uh, said, hey, what are you doing on the podcast tonight? I said, Brett Boone's coming in. And I said, the thing that I love about Brett being in here is I love the game of baseball, but we always learn something from just casual conversation. There's no notes. Just talking the game. Uh, he's the host of the Boone Podcast. He's Boone Approved. Booney, how are you, brother? Great to see you. Thanks for having me, guys. My my uh, my long journey to the to the big garage. To the big <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It happens once in a while. You you're a frequent guest. We Probably always have a good time. Always have a good right? time here. Hey, yeah. Has anybody been here more than Booney? No, not at all. What have I been? Four or five. We had Big yeah. Bob. Easily. Big Bob. Yeah, that we was had cool. One time too. Yeah, that was great. So. Now, I'm happy to be here and looking forward to it. Brett, when you watch fall baseball, uh, I love talking because you see the game different. What do you take away? Do guys act different? Do managers act different? Do players act different? Or are guys, I mean, they always tell us, right, it's just another game, one game at a time. But from your point of view when you're watching this, what's your takeaway from from fall baseball, especially in the uh, championship series where intensity ratchets up a little bit. Well, you, you tend to see uh, managers more than anything else. Mm. I mean, and the game in 2021 is, is different than it was. It, different than it was even in 2011. Definitely different than the early 2000s. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, beyond the thought process, but just a lot of things that go into each and every game plan. There's more there's more uh, voices in the room than the manager and the and the coaching staff coming from upstairs and and some franchises and organizations have have found a real success uh, formula. But I see even in the postseason, even though it's much different now and everything is is analytical, it's even more so in the postseason. And I see that with these managers. I see the wear and tear on the managers uh, more than I do the players. Players come. Some players come and and they love the big stage um, and they perform like they love the big stage. But so I don't think much changes for the players, but, but I definitely see the managers really, it's like, all right, now we're here. Now we got to super manage and really you don't, you know, it's, it's the players. I always look to my manager when I was playing, it's almost like you're on a plane and you got, and you got turbulence. Mm -hmm. Who do you look at? You look at the flight attendant. If she's not worried, I'm not worried. If he's not worried, I'm not worried. Same thing with a manager. You know, I don't know if it's that great of a comparison, but I look to my skipper when times are tough. If I see, I, I see that calmness about him. It has a tendency to work its way through that dugout, and and that's why I, that's what I look for sometimes. Is as strange as it is in these postseason games, is I want to see the manager. How is he behaving? Because because he's the head of the ship, and that and that's who the boys are looking to. Depends also on the you know what the makeup of the ball club is. You got a b- bunch of veteran guys that have been there, done that before that kind of runs itself, especially, but especially with the younger teams that don't have that much experience. It's really interesting to watch those. those you know, when you look things. at a regular season and it's 162 games, I mean, it, it, when they say it's a marathon and you're sitting there trying to pace yourself out because of guys, as far as getting fatigued or injury or anything else, when you look at the postseason right now, it, it does as a fan, even it feels like everyone's managing as a dead sprint. And you mentioned veteran managers. I, I think right away, I'm thinking of a guy like Bobby Cox, a guy that you played for, or Bochi, who you played for, who were both known for being pretty good postseason managers. But as you said, I, I never looked at Boch or Bobby Cox and saw them biting their fingernails. Whereas I'm seeing some of these managers, and 
I'll put Dave Roberts in it, where Dave Roberts looks like, even though this is what he does every year that he's managed the Dodgers, it almost looks like he's he's overthinking things and, and making too many decisions that he normally wouldn't make that's nothing close to what you see in 162 games. And plus, it's it's going to be magnified. You yes. Know, it's, it's, like, it's almost like the, it's like the third base coach. He might make four great sends, and that one that gets called out, and it, it, it might have been a good send anyway. Uh, but you're going to be scrutinized for that one move. I think the same is because as fans and and what we do, uh, we're over scrutinous in the postseason because it's so important. I think I think you do have to manage a little bit different when you get to the postseason as far as uh, you need to manage with a sense of urgency because each game is so important. But the the thing I don't like to see is to manage one way for the 162 games, and it is a grind, and it's that's where baseball is so much different than football each Sunday football is so important to win that game whereas in baseball because it's 162 we go into a city and it's important to win a series we're not planning on winning four straight but if we can take three out of four if we can take two out of three that's important well in the postseason those games are even bigger Um, and you mentioned Bobby Cox I'll tell you I was in Atlanta for a year and I remember in spring training Bobby said uh, for you new players here and the new players were um uh, was myself, and I'm trying to think who the other guy. Anyway, that doesn't matter. He said, but oh, uh, Brian Jordan. He said for the new players, it, it, we here in Atlanta, and this is the late '90s. So you know, you got Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. They've been going to the postseason every year. He says we roll that lineup out and we steamroll our opposition. And that was the talk I had in spring training coming from the Reds. We had some success in the middle '90s. We went to the postseason a few times, but hearing that was was different. And I thought, wow. And that's exactly what we did. I think we, we, we won 103 or 104 games that year. I don't remember. But we got to the postseason, and Bobby was different. Really? And I noticed that about him. And, and I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but, but to play one way all year and then completely change strategies for the postseason, I don't know what kind of message that sends to the players. It's like we, we – as the skipper, you're looking to me, you're looking into my eyes to see that panic, to see that, that strength, to see that uh, confidence. And if I waver, you know, players are, players are emotional. They, they look, to guys, look to guys like Bobby. I'm not saying Bobby did a bad job. I just saw there was a difference. I went to the postseason with a Davey Johnson. He was exactly the same guy that he was during the regular season. Lou Pinella, pretty much the same guy, maybe a little bit more of, of an anxiousness or we got to win. Uh, but I didn't see too much of a, a, a difference in his personality. But with Bobby, I saw a difference. You know, I remember as a Twins fan in 91, watching that series and they go back to Minneapolis for game six. And of that whole series, the thing I remember is as... You're looking at matchups, right? Um, I'm a boxing fan. You look at punchers versus boxers. And I remember when, when Bobby went to Charlie Liebrand at the end. And I remember talking to my buddies, and I'm like, nobody fears Charlie Liebrand, <laughs> right? And there are guys that we've all seen. And, and I, I'm sure there's a Braves fan who can tell me all about what Charlie did. I just knew in that moment, I felt like Bobby outmanaged himself. Because looking at Puck, and then you can say, oh, of course he said afterwards. No, I'm telling you in the moment we looked at it. Then you go to game seven, I think it's Alejandro Pena comes in. But it already felt like the tone, because the home team had won. Then you get to uh, 
Game seven, it's Smoltz against Morris. And it just felt like my guy's going to win it. Brett, I want to ask you this, though, because you, you talked about it. The game's changing. The Dave, you talked about Dave Roberts. I watched those games, and I wonder how much is it Dave instincts and how much is it Andrew Friedman, right, with um, yeah. the bat signal. I saw an incredible clip from Boach the other night. Boach got in, in, inducted into the Bay Area Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame, and this is probably a month back, but I just saw the clip. They were talking to him about the game uh, when he brings Bumgarner in out of the pen and Bumgarner closes it out and they win, I believe, Kansas City? Yeah, Kansas City. And, and Boach says that the conversation happens before the game, and there were so many little check marks that I just wondered, could that conversation happen today? And Bumgarner said to Boach, you need me tonight, I'm ready to go. And, and Boach is saying in this interview, you know, I figured an inning or two or whatever, and he said, so I go get him. I think it came in around the third. Felt like it was pretty early or maybe the fourth. And Boach is saying, as I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, he's got an inning or two or maybe three, and then I'm going to have to get guys up. And he said, I look to my left, and he's there, and he's humming. And he had this look in his eye. And I thought, well, shit, I ain't going to go talk to him. And he said, we all know what the rest is, the history. And I wonder, Brett, with analytics getting into the game, the bigger role that the front office is playing in the game, Brian Sabian is not on the phone to Boach saying, hey, this is what I need you to do. At that point, it's Boach, it's Baumgartner, it's the guys on the field. And you go, I know sports are cyclical, but do you think we can get back to it? I know Dusty's making the call out of this group, right? Out of the, out of the four that are left. I don't know if Snitaker's making any calls. I feel like we know what Dave's doing. Uh, uh, I don't know to Alex Cora what's being said between Cora's instincts in the front office, but I just thought that conversation so evergreen between Boach and Bumgardner and talking about as a manager, looking to my left saying, I'm not going down. That's my guy. I'm riding it to the end. Cyclical in sports, Booney. Can we get back to that? Or is it always going to be, this is what the index card says? I, I, you know, I think we, we have gone so far down this analytical road, and I think there's a lot of positive things to it. You know, the more I look at it, there are definitely benefits, but we have gone so far, I think you're going to see a correction, and I Good. think you're going to see it come back to the middle, and because the baseball mind and the, and, and the baseball uh, high IQ people are necessary for this game to thrive. I loved, you know, he, he was getting a lot of critique. I loved Tony La Russa coming back to the game. He wasn't going to be Tony La Russa from 1988 managing the Bash brothers. He, he knew that. He knows that the game's changed. The kids are different that have come to the big leagues this, uh, in 2021, and he knew that going in. But you've got that, that wealth of knowledge for Tony La Russa that, that – you know, whatever you want to call it. We're not supposed to call it old school anymore. Yeah. But but he's a purist. He's a baseball purist. And you bring that to the ledger. Now, the analytics come in and, and the people upstairs that do all the uh, the analyzing, you give that and, and educate Tony on the process. Mm -hmm. Man, now you got a great baseball man that's a people person that knows how to read. You, you talk about the, the uh, Bumgardner story. Mm -hmm. One of the top... Top three feats 
unbelievable feats I've ever seen in sports. Right. Uh, with number one being Red Sox down 3 nothing to the Yankees and coming back and winning four straight. That's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. You're not seen. giving my man Jack Morris 10 innings? <laughs> Shut up. That's pretty awesome. But what bum, oh, I'm sorry, what Bumgarner did yes, in I'm, that series I'm with you. floored me. Yeah. He came back on like no days he rest. Like, like, like you Kovacs. said, he was going to pitch 180. He pitched like four or five and closed his, it out. I'm yeah. going, that's like a superhuman right yeah. there. I've never seen, you know, we saw that in the early 2000s. We saw that Schilling, yeah. Johnson, Arizona yeah. basically put that Diamondbacks team on their back and carry them. That's awesome. Yeah. That was two people. This was one guy yeah. that carried it. That, so that being said, but you talk about the human side of the game. And the Bumgarner. And it was a look in Bumgarner's eye. Mm-hmm. It's the way him and Boach, uh, you know, talk to each other throughout the year. Because when you go into that clubhouse, when you go into a, a season, that's 162 games that you're living with these guys. They're family members. You know every quirk, mm-hmm. the way people behave, the way they answer a question, the look in their eyes. So at that point, you know, you talk about the Bochy Bumgarner. They probably knew each other inside and out. And it didn't matter what he said. It's how he said it. And Boach's job is to read how he said it and act accordingly. Yeah. That is so important in the game, the human factor. Going to the mound and and not saying, well, I'm taking him out no matter what, because maybe I've got a star on the mound that I really trust. And if I know I get a certain signal out of him, that means he stays in the game. If I get another signal, that means I'm going to the bullpen. So have that option instead of it's already written down on a piece of paper what I'm doing. Now, I'm not saying for everybody. A young pitcher that doesn't have the track record that, that hasn't earned it yet, there might be no no arguing or no discussion right there. It's, no, I'm going with the lefty. You're out of the game. But to a guy like a Max Scherzer, mm. Max is going to be honest with me. Mate. I'm, I'm just creating a scenario here. Sure. I go to the mound, and Max is going to tell me what I'm going to do. Because First of all, because he's Max Scherzer, and he's earned it. And secondly, because he's going to be honest with me, he's not going to put himself out there if that guy in the pen can do a better job than him. Those guys are a dream because you know, wow, I don't have to make this decision. They're going to make it for me. Whether it works or it doesn't work, it, it's still the maybe the greatest pitcher in the game currently mm-hmm. uh, making that decision. I was a big um, proponent of what happened in the 2003 playoff games when they when when he went out to the mound and he kept Pedro in the game. And everybody's mm-hmm. saying, oh, he kept Pedro in too long. I said, that's Pedro Martinez. Yeah. yeah. And 60 or 80% of Pedro Martinez is probably better than 100% of that guy in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So I can't critique something like that. I... I I just have to go with, what is the source? Is it Greg Maddox? Is it Randy Johnson? Is it, is it DeGrom right now? Is it Cole? Is it any of these great pitchers that are pitching in this, in this postseason right now? Well, there's a certain amount of respect. There's a certain amount of uh, credit you give these guys that have put themselves in these positions time after time. They've earned the right to have a say in that. And I really think that's a huge part of the game. And I think it's a huge part of being a great manager. Scherzer did it yesterday. I mean, he only gave up two runs, and when Dave Roberts went out, he told him, he goes, Marm's dead. He goes, I don't have anything. Take, you got to take it me makes, out. That makes it easy for Roberts yeah. right there. Like, he shook his right. hand and walked off. Right. And, and it's not, you know, it's not going, oh, you're, you're not a tough guy. You get, no. He was doing what was best for his team at yeah. that time. If Scherzer thought that I got a lot left in the tank and it's definitely better than what's coming in, he would have stayed in the game. Yeah. 
But he just thought, we have a better chance with that guy in the bullpen right now. You know, as fans, we're having a tough time now because we always like to watch the game. And as fans of the game, we kind of play manager. We do it all the time, just like everybody plays offensive coordinator during NFL games. And it's so hard to figure out because I think a lot of fans don't realize exactly what the computers do and what they're involved in and decision-making before the game begins, as you just said. But for us, we're sitting there looking at the field and going, there's a shift with the third baseman that's basically standing at shortstop or a shortstop that's standing there in the third baseman's on the other side of the diamond. And you have fast guys like a Cody Bellinger who hasn't been able to hit the whole year. Like, just lay it down. It's the same thing as a base hit strong through the right side or Trey Turner who's not hitting right now. Just, just lay one down just to get on base, do anything to get on base. And fans can't understand what's happening for watching a team like, let's say the Dodgers who are struggling right now, getting any kind of offense. You go, why don't you just take what the other team is giving you? Because a lot of these, a lot of times these guys don't work at it and they can't bunt. Which for me, if I'm managing, I'm going to, especially with these shifts, I'm going to make sure that's what we do in spring training. You know, because spring training is, especially for big league guys, it's not for practice. It's, it, when you're a big leaguer, you're a big leaguer. I expect you to be well-rounded and to be able to do all these things. But with this day and age, I'm with you. I see those shifts and I'm going, are you kidding me? And then I hear, well, Bunny's not that, that tough. I mean, it, that easy. And I say, if you want to bunt, it's really easy. I hated to bunt. I've had to do it at, at times in my career where I didn't want to do it. But, but I had a realization that, okay. And especially in the early 90s, I had a couple lean offensive seasons. And I was asked to sacrifice bunt. Well, first of all, it hits your pride a little bit. Yeah. But you got to get over yourself. And, and I kind of had a heart-to-heart with myself in those times. When, and I said, well, if I get the bunt, what am I going to do? Am I going to stomp my feet and say, how dare you bunt me? And, you know, give it a half-ass attempt. Next thing you know, I'm back in the dugout 0 for 1. I didn't get the bunt down. And my teammates going, come on, you get the bunt. Yeah, we, none of us like to bunt, but get it. So I started thinking, if I don't want, you know, I don't want to do it. I can't stand that I have to bunt here. But Skipper gave me the bunt sign, so I'm going to get it down. And I'm going to get in the trenches, and I'm going to get it down. Because I'm 0 for 0 with the mm-hmm. sacrifice. It doesn't cost to get, you know, it doesn't count against yes. me anyway. So might as well get it done. Whether I want to, whether I don't, it doesn't matter. That's the play. That's what I'm doing. So get in the trenches and get it done. It's not that tough to do. Bunting is easy. And, and like you said, when those shifts are so over the top one way, it's not like we need you to have this great drag bunt or push bunt. We need you to square two seconds before the ball's delivered and sacrifice bunt. It's not that tough to do if you're willing to do it. But you got to commit to it. But the last time we saw you, the Padres, I think we're still in playoff contention. It tells you how long ago it was. And you hear the stories about what happened in that room, but no media can get in there. So who knows the credibility? But we saw what happened, right? They were 17 games over 500. They fell apart. The manager gets fired. Everybody hates each other in the room. When you look at those kind of situations, who who bears the responsibility of bringing the group back together? Is it the veteran players to bear that responsibility to say, hey, wait a second. We we had a pretty fun year last year. We were dancing this year, and now we're falling apart. Or is it a guy like Tingler and Skip Schumacher and Wayne Kirby and that group to say, we're going to get this group together? I mean, you can say, oh, we all pull in the same direction. Bullshit. At some point, somebody has to recognize we're spiraling out of control. And for you, when you watch that happen, 
What'd you take away from it? Wow, that was an epic, epic fall because I, I'm a big fan of that. That <laughs> the beginning of the season, I was a big fan of that roster. Yeah, I expected Snell coming over, Darvish coming over. Darvish had the great first half. Snell struggled all year. He got it together a little bit at the end. Musgrove was was a warrior the whole mm-hmm. year. But the little thing started, and, and then it snowballed. And you don't have a ton. I mean, you've got some experience on that team. Hosmer didn't have the best year. Uh, Tatis had another MVP quality year. Machado had a really good year. Uh, the center fielder didn't have the, the year that they were expecting. Meyer, Will Myers last year, unbelievable. This year, okay. Um, so it wasn't that dominant, dominant. Also, they're playing in the toughest division in baseball, the National League West. You got the Dodgers and the and the the Giants winning 106, 107 res, respectively. That's a tough division. So you add that in, but the way they fell off the map, they have nobody but to blame but themselves. Every great team I've been on, it's been because of the players. Every bad team I've been on, it's been because of the players. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you yeah. this: there's not too many games in my life where I we're we're sitting around after the game talking about it and saying, man, Skip really screwed us up tonight. We would have won that game if he didn't make that move. Mm. Not very often. Yeah, we've questioned moves here and there. But 99 out of 100 times, it's the players. We're responsible for wins and losses. It cracks me up how we put so much emphasis on, oh, who's going to be this next super-duper manager? It's like it really doesn't matter. If you've got the right core of people in that locker room, it really doesn't matter who the skipper is. The skipper's there to... To get the most out of the players, to to uh, deal with different personalities, to deal with different egos. He's really no different than a CEO. Yeah. You've got to deal with your your general manager, and you got to deal with the press. So really, the skipper isn't that important. You know, I've had unbelievable skippers last place. Yeah. Had mediocre skippers. We win in spite of him. Mm-hmm. But it all comes down to the players all the time, and it cracks me up to 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 see on Twitter or talk radio. Oh, we need a skipper. Or we need a new hitting coach. I never <laughs> had a hitting coach that I blame for my season. I'm a big boy. I'm a big leaguer. When you get to the big leagues, you're supposed to. There's no more practicing. Yeah, I've had hitting coaches that touch on it here and there that could help me a little bit if I could find him. I'd hold on to him. But I I went into each and every season not thinking. Well, can't wait to get to spring training so i can work with my hitting coach it's irrelevant it's irrelevant i'm not baiting you i promise you i'm not baiting you but i'm i'm asking does the modern player for the most part have that same mindset because i i'm not sure that they do and like i said it's not it's not a bait question where you can say well in my era tom i'm saying but you watch it enough you obviously know the game you see plenty with aaron and your dad you think the the average modern ball player still has that same mindset in the room and his individual mentality that it ultimately comes down to me because that's what I look at at that team is boy it sure feels like the old analogy twenty five guys twenty five cabs in that room. Well, I think the game has changed in in so many ways. First and foremost is um, the young players coming to the big leagues. Okay. And, and not to take away from the, the talent on the field right now. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. To watch the Acunas, to watch the Tatises, to watch the Sotos, the yeah. Devers, uh, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I love watching Bo Bichette. The talent is undeniable what it is in the, in the big leagues right now. It's great. And I've never seen as much talent 
at an earlier stage in their career. I mean, yeah. these kids are like seasoned at 22, 23. It's pretty awesome to watch. When I came up watching Ken Griffey Jr., I thought, wow, what a freak of nature. He's doing that at 20, 21. Well, then Trout came along. Then Harper came along. Phenomenal players that that are wise beyond their years. And now you see a plethora of the guys. That being said... Um, there's no accountability. When I came to the big leagues, man, and my hair was on fire, and I, I you guys know me. Mm-hmm. I was about as brash a 21-year-old <laughs> as you could possibly be, but I knew my place. Yeah. And I took my beatings when I needed to take my beatings. And Jay Buhner and Chris Bazio, that's just the way it was. We came to the big leagues, and it was almost scary. Like, I've done everything I need to do in the minor leagues. I get to the big leagues. Now i got to prove myself here. And they're going to make me prove myself, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to shut up. And when I earn my stripes, I'm going to have a say. And that's just the way it was. It was almost like, earn it, now do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Once you become an established big league player, I don't see that today. I don't see the veterans holding the holding the, the rookies accountable. I just see that they get there and it's expected. Like, oh, I'm here and I need my name on my shoes and, and I've got three career homers. Is that what Manny was doing in the dugout with Tatis? I think Manny was, and I think the only thing that, that was wrong about that was getting it caught on, on camera, you know? But it wasn't that him and Tatis were getting in a fight and they hate each other now. He was probably watching Tatis. There were a lot of, man, what, what went on with the Padres in the second half, there's probably a lot of tension in that clubhouse, a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a young kid, Tatis, who's, who's the, you know, definitely the poster boy of the franchise having a great year. And he's watching the whole second half go down the drain and them not going to make the postseason. And he's, you got to remember, he's still 22 years yeah. old. And, and he probably said something silly or young or immature. And Machado was probably equally frustrated and had enough of it and said, listen, kid. And, he, and Machado, I would assume, is kind of a mentor to Tatis. And, and that's with me not knowing the, sure. the integral workings, what goes on in that clubhouse. But it makes sense that, hey, he looks to Manny Machado as a guy he's growing up watching play. And Machado's looking at him going, wow, what a talented kid coming to the big leagues. So they probably have that brotherly relationship. That's good for the game. Mm-hmm. That's good for a Machado to jump a Tatis. Not out of hate or because I don't like you, because I do like you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be that great player that everybody knows you're going to be and are. So I thought that was a good moment. I didn't see anything bad about it. Mm-hmm. I thought I see nothing but a positive thing and a learning point and a learning moment for a young Tatis. Probably the first time Machado's really stepped into that veteran, veteran role too. Machado's he, not some old man. No. And he may be the one guy on that team that has that voice. It's not going to be Grisham that's going to challenge Tatis. It's not going to be Tommy Pham, right? It's not going to be Kim. It's not going to be Adam Frazier. You probably have. I'd say if anyone in that clubhouse could do it, and I, and I it, it's so tough to when you, when you talk about that yeah, to really know factually because you don't know the personalities sure. in that clubhouse. But if I were to look for somebody, probably a pitcher, uh, maybe a Darvish could have something, but I don't know his personality. Maybe mm-hmm. someone like a Hosmer, who's won a World Series, has been around, but it makes the most sense that a Manny yeah. Machado, he's, he's, other than Tatis, is the biggest star on that team. He's got the big contract, just like Tatis does. Right next to each other every day. He's been there, done that a lot. He's proven himself. He's, yeah. <clears throat> he's in that all-star mix every year. 
Tatis respects him, it was the perfect guy to do it. And and the only thing is, you know, we try to keep that in-house and keep that in the tunnel. Know, and it but got there's so many camera. people are pussies. Holy shit, man. You get who, yelled at. I you looked get, at it. I thought it was yeah. great. I said, and who cares if it got on camera? Yeah. If it were up to me and I was doing it, I would have got it off camera because I don't want to give anybody sure. anything. But I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought it was a good moment. I thought it was a learning moment for both players. First of all, Machado going from the young star player into a little bit more of a mentor, mm-hmm. mature role when he's still in his prime. Tells him you're the best player in the game. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool. All right. So for Padre fans who watched what happened in 2021 and, and were shocked by the way the season ended and don't want to see it again, how do the Padres fix it? Like when you look at this, do you go, this is fixable? Or do you well, from a, PR go, man, stamp, the, from a PR standpoint, no, it's let, the simplest thing in the world. But let's say you're, you're hired as the general manager. Is, are there too many long-term bad contracts to fix this, or can this be fixed? Without a doubt, it can be fixed. And from a fan's perspective, it's so obvious. And a friend of mine and a guy <laughs> I love is Bruce Bochy. You call Bruce, you get him in-house. He's the skipper. You know, kind of the San Diego fans are licking their wounds. Nobody saw what came in the second half of the yeah. Padres. And there's a lot of probably disgruntled fans out there that are expecting to be playing right now, and they didn't even come close to playing right now. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you hire a Bruce Bochy, who is beloved in this city. He's got three World Series championships. One of my favorite managers I ever played for. I never met a person that doesn't like Bruce. That changes the complexion of the fans and, and how they view the Padres right now. Going, all right, now we're ready to go. we got Bruce Bochy, the greatest ever. Let me get my tickets next year. This team's going to be great. That's how I do it from a general manager. I get the right skipper in there. And I think there's a few guys out there that would fit the bill. But it's such an obvious choice with Bruce being from here. He's the San Diego guy that everybody loves that goes off to the Bay Area, wins three World Series, and now a coming home parade after everything everybody's been through. It makes perfect sense. Now, once again, that's me not having any inside information at all. I'm just thinking, what would I do if I'm the general manager? I got to get my skipper in place real quick. I got to get my skipper in place that's going to have credibility, and these players are going to, in the clubhouse, when he walks into that room, Mm They're going to take notice. Bruce Bochy has that it factor. He has that presence, always has. He has that presence. He's that big, love, lovable teddy bear. But at the same time, he can be a disciplinary, and he does it in the right way. And I haven't met too many guys that really don't respect everything about Bruce. And that would be the first move i got to make. you got to get the guy that's going to lead this ship in um, so, 2022. So it's funny because I look at it and having texted with him, and I, I – don't get into it because it's his business, but I'm fortunate as Dave is, Booney, and you are to call him a friend. He's been great for us for more than 22 years. But the funny thing is when I look back at when he got here in 95, hired by Randy Smith, Kevin had been his pitching coach. And the relationship that they had when Kevin came in to replace him, right? Wasn't Kevin his pitching coach in Vegas? And then, but what Boach has said to us is one of the things that made the biggest impact for him is that when he was hired, Caminetti bought into what he was selling quickly. Tony had been a teammate, but having Caminetti in his corner and then slowly the Trevors, the Finleys, the Vaughns, the Joiners, right, Tonys. But that one guy that he had, the sheriff in that room, Caminetti, said, you got a problem with boats, you're coming to see me, and then we'll end it. And that's the thing that I wonder about, Brett, looking at this room, is not that 
that this three-time world champion, future Hall of Famer, Bruce Bochy, needs a sheriff in there. But I just wonder, and the other thing is, I wonder about Preller. Will Preller let Boach run that room the way he did? If he knows you're off, sitting down with you and going, Booney, where you at? It just feels like, I don't know. I see him going to St. Louis. To me, I look at that Cardinal job. I go, shit, man, that might be the guy. I know he's not the Cardinal way, per se, but to me, Boach going to St. Louis makes so much sense that this one here, yes, in the dream scenario, but I don't know that Boach... Well, I, th- I think it's going to come down to, you know, Bruce, who who, who is from that era. Uh, but Bruce is also from an analytical era. He was yeah. just, he was managing a few years ago. So he's not, this isn't foreign to him. No, he likes it. But uh, as far as Preller, I don't know how much, uh, and, and I don't want to call it control, how much input is expected of the new manager from upstairs, from yeah. the analytical guys. Is that what Bochi wants to hear? I have no idea. I would assume. I don't even know if they're talking to Bochi. Yeah. I don't have the, 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 I haven't called Bruce. I, I haven't, haven't talked to him about it. I'm assuming they have contacted him, but who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe Bruce says, hey, I want this, this, and this, and they're saying, no, in 2022 in San Diego, we don't do it that way. I don't know. They might not be saying yeah. that. Bruce might be thinking about the Cardinals. Bruce might be rethinking it right now, going, maybe I don't want to be a skipper anymore. <laughs> who knows what Bruce wants to do? Yeah. You know, I had him on the show, my show, yeah. six months ago, and he goes, you know, I might consider it if the right spot comes up. Well, here it is. Yeah. Seems like there's a couple right spots. Uh, I'd love to see him back Me from too. a selfish standpoint because I, I just love the, the, what he brings to the game of baseball. It makes him feel like baseball when Bruce is out yeah. on the field. You know, when I sit there and I, you talk about Boach and everything sounds great and I'd love to see him come back. Two things. One is I almost think like Boach is too big for Preller. Preller doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants to bring in a personality that maybe he can't control. And when you look at his history, that seems like that's exactly what he does. As someone that comes in that maybe, I'd say knows more baseball, has more baseball experience. As you said, a future Hall of Famer, as Jeff just said, a future Hall of Famer in, in Boach, that maybe it, it's too scary for a guy like Preller. At the same time, who, whoever they, they possibly bring in, and we just talked about it, and Boach has said it to us on the show. He goes, I'm responsible for maybe four wins during the regular season as a manager. He goes, as you said, Brett, the, the players do the whole thing. But we, as you said, right now it's a train wreck. You need someone to kind of control what's going on in that clubhouse, and what's going on in that clubhouse isn't working. Without a doubt. Yeah. And, and it was working up till about the midway point, a little past the midway point this year. It worked the year before, too. Is they it were bad when the- players can get a manager fired basically two out of three years? I hated uh, – oh, man, I, I – you know, and the people re- remain unnamed. But uh, I saw it happen on a team I was on, and I didn't like it because it, I played for a lot of guys. Yeah. I played for a lot of great managers. I played for some guys I didn't care for very much. But I was the player, and I always, I always would think, who am I to take the food off his table? This is his job. Who am I to go in? If I've got some juice, if I've got some power to take it, that's not my job to hire and fire him. My job is to show up and bust my ass and play a hell of a second base from 7 to 10 every night. My job is not to tell who runs the show, who coaches third, who coaches first. If I'm asked, I will give you my opinion. But I would never say, you need to get rid of him, you need to fire him. I saw it happen. I don't like it. 
I don't like when players think they have the right to say who should manage and not manage a team. That's not our job. Our job is to play baseball and zip it. Like you said, an opinion? Okay, an opinion, fine. Do you like your skipper? No, I don't really care for him. Should he be fired? That's not my job to tell you whether he should be fired. That's how I think players should act. We play, stay in our lanes. We play, they put the team on the field. They bring the team. Now, if you come to me and you want my opinion, hey, what do you think this offseason about getting him, him, or him? Well, he'd fit great, and he'd fit great, but I don't know about him. I don't think he fits right. Well, that's different. That, that's, that's working uh, on a different formula. That's, that's putting a team together, the best team, because my job is to win. Yeah. But when I say fire somebody, I, I, I would never do that, and I don't feel like that's my place or any player's place. I'm going to play devil's advocate, but I'm going to – I'm going to preface this by saying it could just be completely naive, but but let me ask this. Dave, I'm going to ask you as a Laker fan. The, the, the one that I remember the most, coaching change that made the biggest difference, we talk about it here all the time, is when the Lakers had Del Harris and Shaq's there, Kobe's there, right? A lot yeah. of the key components are there. And they're not winning. And then all of a sudden, Del Harris is out and Phil Jackson comes in. Could there ever be, and I don't know the answer, so I'm asking, could there ever be a situation where I think we know nine out of ten just players doing their deal, but could there ever be a situation where a player says, man, we're really, really good, and if we go out and we get a Bochi or we do what the White Sox did with La Russa, instead of letting this fucking guy that was the farm director in the Dominican two years ago run this goddamn team, we can get it over the top, but we need a guy in here. Am I crazy, Brett, if I'm completely naive? I, no, I, because I think it's very, uh, it's very rational thinking. It's just <laughs> it's not realistic. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. The bottom line is, look in the clubhouse. What kind of, what kind of player are you? What kind of pro are you that, that yeah. who's running the show is going to dictate how you play or the effort you give on how you play? The guys that are going to change for what skippers out there are guys I don't want on my team. Mm. You see Got what I'm saying? Good point. Yep. Now, if you need to point where, oh, I need him to motivate me, you shouldn't need anybody to motivate you. Yeah. You should, motivate your, you should be able to motivate yourself. And by the, by the time you get to the big leagues, you, it, it shouldn't matter who's in place. Now, of course, if we had our druthers, I'm going to pick my favorite guys. Oh, I want him, and I want yeah, him yeah. at third base, and I want him at first <laughs> base because they're yeah. my buddies. But I don't control that. I've had some unbelievable skippers. I've had some skippers I don't really day care in, for. Day out. But it doesn't matter. No, but but like you said, what is the most, or, or like I said earlier, what is yeah. the most important part for a skipper to do? Is to get the most out of his mm -hmm. players. To give one guy a hug and kick one guy in the ass. To get the same result. Yeah. It's reading people. It's no different than being a CEO. How do I get... Well, that guy's really valuable to me in, a, in, in, in the business world. He's a genius. He's a pain in the neck. Nobody likes him. He disrupts the office, but he's a star when we close a deal. I got to keep him. I got to put up with him. And I, how do I get him to keep giving me that star level performance in the business world? Mm -hmm. That guy over there, man, if I piss him off... He's going to show me that he's better than that guy, and he's going to get the deal done. That's what the great ones do. They know the personalities. They get the most out of it. I remember in, in uh, Davy Johnson. Davy Johnson and myself, we butted heads for, for the years I was there, and, man, he would make me angry, and he would piss me off, and I always seemed I played better when I was angry at him. Hmm. 
And then years went by and I thought, that's what he was trying to do. He knew if he could push my buttons, upset me in a little way, I was going to show him and I did. And I remember he treated other people differently. But if he treated them the way they treated me, they might, they might fold the tent and quit on you. Mm -hmm. You got to know your players. How do you get the most out of each individual personality? It would be great if we had 10 Caminitis on every team. Right. But we don't. That's not, that's not realistic. That's not real life. Yeah. You know, if you've got the some, – some teams I've been on, the personnel has been unbelievable, and it runs itself. But that's a, maybe once in a career type situation. You're not going to have that year in and year out. Some guys catch it in a bottle. Some guys get to have it for three or four years, and that's unbelievable. You know, you look at the great championships teams, and there's that camaraderie for four, five, six years. Most people don't get that. And when you do, man, appreciate that because it, it's very rare. So uh, you, you've got to work outside the box and, and other scenarios. And, yeah, I just don't think the skipper's that important. I really don't. If you were a GM and you had to pick a manager for a team, let's say, that's looking for a manager right now, all right? There are some of them that don't have contracts, including your brother, mm -hmm. Dusty Baker. You know, Walt Weiss is a guy that has Love been on the— that's good. To me, it's funny. I brought him up to Jeff saying he's a guy that had the job, probably has learned a lot since he had the job. Ron Washington's another guy that you're— different names that you hear. Skip Schumacher, you're here, possibly even going to St. Louis— different guys if you were looking for a manager to to say you know what this is the right fit for an organization that's middle of the road let's say in a little a couple games below 500 go this is this is the team that i think would be a perfect situation for this guy to either get his first shot or a second shot well i think boach is going to be good wherever you put him yeah it, it's just the the over the overwhelming respect throughout the baseball community for boach that that's a no-brainer i think buck show walter is an option um whether some people perceive him as being too old school, yep. that may be his biggest detriment because Buck's a believer in, in, in high IQ baseball people, baseball men. Um, I think he would be a no-brainer for me. Uh, you know, he's, he's been manager of the year three times. Not that I put that much credibility into that, that much credence, but he is a respected skipper. I think, I think certain guys, they walk into a room and they get instant respect, you know. And after that, you got to to keep the respect. You got to earn it. You got to be the real deal. Um, and and I, I've always loved playing against Buck. I, I always like something about him. I don't know. I've never played for him. But those are the two guys that come to mind right away. I think uh, I think Aaron's going to be a Yankee. <laughs> I don't think Aaron's going anywhere. Hundred percent to me wasn't his fault from the outside. I mean, well, of course not. And I think if Brian think, Cashman was man enough to admit he put together a roster think, that wasn't right. Aaron Boone is the reason the Yankees don't win. Well, you really can't sit down and have an argument with me because you've just lost all credibility with me, and that's taken my bias. Obviously, I'm going to have a little bias. He's my little brother, but I'm also professional enough to take off my brother hat and be critical of him when he needs to be critical. I look at that team and what Aaron Boone's done in four years with the Yankees with that group of players who are far from world championship caliber, especially this year, and to say it's his fault, well, you don't know the game of baseball. And if you, and, and if you think that at all, well, you're just you, – that's, that's stuff you, you hear on, on talk radio and, and debates and fights on the way home. It's good entertainment, but there's really no credibility to it. Uh, take me inside the room – it's funny, there was a great Amazon series right now where they've been following the Toronto Maple Leafs last year for the NHL. This was a team that got out to a huge lead, iconic franchise, 
fell apart, lose again in the first round of the playoffs. But what I found interesting is they show the dynamic between the coach, Sheldon Keefe, and the team. And a little bit of pregame meeting, right? We go through some video. But then between periods, he'll come in. Hey, you know, execution on the power play is there's fucking atrocious. Get it together. Walks out. That's it. Uh, on a day-to-day, Brett, that, that I think the thing that we never write really quite understand, and maybe it's different guy to guy, but on a Thursday afternoon game in Pittsburgh, how much interaction is there between manager and team? Is there any interaction until you guys get out to the bench? And a, a quick follow-up to something you said when you talked about the personalities and some guys need a hug and some guys need a kick in the ass. Is that done in front of the team or is it done behind closed doors? Because I just wonder, you're watching how Davey manages you, but are you also paying attention to how Davey manages the other 24 guys? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And, and that could be... Uh, that could confuse a young player. Yeah. Now, the older players looking at the whole scenario from the outside going, I see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And this guy's brilliant at doing it. He pushes buttons, and he, he knows the right buttons to push. That, that would be kind of a fun thing. When I was an older player and, and, and a veteran player, and I was in Seattle, and I had Lou Pinello, who's my all-time favorite, and I'd watch him push buttons. And I would love it because now I'm looking at it from a 12-, 13-year veteran. Yeah perspective from a mature perspective been there done that learned a lot been in you know up and down in this game so many times but it was a different perspective to kind of just sit back and go i see what he's doing right there but sometimes when you're 23 24 yeah you don't you you don't have that that life experience you don't know what it's like and it can be a little bit daunting at times but um i don't know i think it's just the, the, the relationship, the best I've seen at what they do, and that's manage a team, keep a healthy distance from their players. Not too, many, too much interaction. That's what a bench coach is for. Oh, bench coach is to walk around that locker room and get a pulse of that team. Mm. Hey, how's Joe doing today? How's Freddie doing? How does Kenny doing? Is Kenny, how's his ankle feeling? I know it was a little sore the other day. Get a little pulse of what's going on on the team. The great bench coaches find out. They report to the skipper. Wow. And and I think that it was always best to have a healthy distance between player because he's still got to got to he can't be your buddy. Yeah, the skipper's not for the guy to go out and have beers with. That's for the bench coach. That's for the first base coach. That's for the third base coach. They're liaisons of that manager. That manager's got to yeah. keep a healthy distance because at the end of the day, he's the guy that's going to put your name up in the lineup and going to take your name out of the lineup. You can go have dinner with with the first base coach. And it doesn't matter. He has nothing to say yeah. whether you're in the lineup or you're not. But to to have that healthy distance with the managers, I've always felt that that was the best way to run a ball club. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. As we go into the postseason, uh, and it's starting, uh, as we do the show right now, Dodgers are down 2 nothing to the Braves headed back for Game 3 in Los Angeles. And the Red Sox uh, up 2-1 against the Astros. Who do you like? I like the National League to win the World Series. This really? Year. I think they're a better league. I think the pitching sets up better. I'm really impressed in the Red Sox uh, making it to where they had. They, they went into this season with nobody had these expectations no, for them. The thing that's interesting, Astros-Red Sox, such a good matchup on paper. Mediocre pitching. Evaldi's the horse over there for the Red Sox. McCullers for the Astros, but McCullers is out for yeah. this series. I think that's the difference. Because you look up and down the lineup, 
probably the two best hitting lineups in the game, period. Not just the American League, but the game. I see it very evenly matched, but you take McCullers away, Red Sox. Look what they're doing. You got Kiki having an un- unbelievable. unbelievable postseason. Vertigo, he, it seems like, or is it Verdugo? Verdugo. Every time I watch him, he gets a hit. Yep. Uh, JD is the the consummate pro. Bogarts, he's been there so many times now. He looks as comfortable as he's ever been. Kyle Schwarber doing things. Yep. One of the best hitters in the game. Devers, what a job he does, and just the fear. It, just that lineup is so formidable. On the other side, the Astros are the same. The, the Koreas, the Bregmans, the Altuve's. Say what you want about those Astros team and the cheating scandal. These dudes can flat out hit. They're, they're professionals, always have been. I think it's an even matchup. I think the Red Sox get past them. Because of that factor of having Evaldi and the Astros not having McCullers, Dodgers, Atlanta. Dodgers are still the best team in baseball. It doesn't matter who wins the World Series this year. On, on paper, on the field, the Dodgers are the best team. They got Scherzer, Urias, and Bueller. Okay, Kershaw went down. Everybody knows what's going ongoing with Bowers. Yeah. Still, I'll take those three up against anybody. What I'm seeing early in this series is having Neville as an opener. I, I don't understand. When you have the horses, most of the World Series championship teams, what do they have? They have the best starting pitching. The Dodgers still have the best starting pitching, but the Braves are hot right now. And you got Morton. You got Freed pitching as good as anyone in the game. He's been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean Morton's an yeah. unbelievable postseason player. Freed, Anderson Padre. having a so they can match up. They can't quite match up with that Dodgers ball club. I just want to see Scherzer, Urias, Bueller. Just keep pitching them that way, and let's stop. Let's stop messing around with everything else. So you mentioned that, and and this is the way I look at it, and that's why it's always fun to have you here. When I look at that. And they went to the opener, and they did it in in game uh, five with San Francisco, right? They're trying to play. Got away with it. Got away with it. But to me, Brett, I'm always fascinated by the mindset of the guys in the room because I'm not one, I never will be. When all of a sudden we're ready to go and it's going to be our guy against their guy, right? It's going to be Urias against Webb. Game five, on their ground, fuck you, no, fuck you. And now all of a sudden we get this call Hey, we're going to go with the opener. If I'm sitting there, I go, Boone, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> Fuck's going on, Boone? Well, first of all, let's just think about it this way. What, and this is no disrespect to the relievers out there, but what is a reliever? Yeah. He's a starter that's not good enough to be a starter. <laughs> right. Okay, who are you going to trust throwing strikes? I see all these bullpen games. I see we're going we're gonna to pitch nine pitchers. In nine innings. Yeah. So what is the chance of one of them having a really rough night? Pretty good. I never, I, I trust a starter to throw a strike yeah. over a reliever. And the game has changed. People are groomed now to be specialists in that bullpen. But a front line, no doubt about number one starter. Yeah. You can't turn somebody into that. They either are or they're not. It's just like to be a gold glove caliber shortstop. You don't turn second baseman into gold glove shortstops. Shorts, yeah. Gold glove shortstops are just born. It's the same with a starting pitcher. Yeah. You go from starter to reliever. You don't see too many relievers turning into starters. No. That's funny. So the guy I keep thinking about is Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers, who had a two two five ERA last year, who's on the roster to pitch, hasn't pitched in one postseason game, and he was being told, you're the fourth guy. You know, these guys can't go. You're the guy. 
This guy and his poor parents going, when the fuck's our kid getting in the game? When did he get in? <laughs> you sit there and you look at the thing. Brett, hang around. We're going to knock well, hang these. On. Go One ahead. quick thing, Dave. Sorry. But Brett, you and I grumble about it. But then at the end, you put your fucking hat on. You get out. You do your job, right? I mean, you can't. You don't Without carry it out into the field. Without a doubt. And you, and you get out there and you go. But that's the shit that makes you crazy. And that's the thing that I'm wondering about, Dave, is when you go. It's the managing of personalities but then the other deal, here's my other thing that makes me insane, so I'll ask you. I fucking can't stand when closers come in in non-safe situations. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like another guy loved in this room. I don't feel like Trevor Hoffman was as effective in non-safe situations. My guess would be the numbers back it up. Dave, I know you've seen it. Kenley Jansen, same thing. Yeah, and I just wonder for you, Booney, when you're out there, or are you too focused in on what's going on between the lines but it sure feels like often, we saw it last year, Trevor Rosenthal for the Padres came in. Non-save situations, it just feels like maybe there's that switch they turn right. when a 3-2 game is much different than coming in in a 3-3 game. Well, and once again, it's a personality. Who can handle that? And who? Oh, I know X, uh, my closer X. Yeah. He doesn't like that non-save situation. I'm not going to put him in that position because I need him in the save situation. God, it feels like they now I've got it. I've got closer B, yeah. who, who I managed three years ago. It didn't matter when the phone rang; he's ready to throw. Yeah. Got to know who you're dealing with. And, and if we're getting to the ultimate uh, analytics, why do we even have closers? Wouldn't wouldn't some some formula come out that in the eighth inning we're facing the two, three, four guys. Wouldn't it be wiser to put our best pitcher? Well, well that's, if you're what, the the best. that's what Theo did in 2003, the, the, the Grady Little game, the one you're talking about. Remember, it didn't work because they needed someone with the mindset and he went and got Keith Folk the following year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said that. he go. That was his exact plan, what you said. 2003, we're just going to put the most important pitcher in in the situation of the game where it's the seventh right, or eighth Right, if it's inning. the ninth inning and yes. you're facing... Seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't we use our, our stud closer against two, three, four, yes. three, four, five? Yeah. I agree with both. It's just, it, it's fun to debate. Yeah. I'm, once again, I'm a classic baseball guy. I like my best guy at the end because I trust him. And there's, an, and, and Randy Meyer said it best. He said, when you're the closer, there's nobody behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that going in. You just had Myers on your podcast this week, I just had Myers on the podcast, and that's what he thought. I thought that was so interesting because I said, you've been a a starter, you've been a reliever, you've been a closer. What's the difference between that closer and everybody else? He said, and that's what he said. He said, when you turn around in that bullpen, there ain't nobody out there. (laughs) You're the end. You either lose or you win, and and it makes sense. You know, when you're a setup man, you got the big boy warming up in the bullpen. Yeah. When you're the big boy, you got nobody warming up in the bullpen. It makes perfect sense. It does. All right, Brett, hang around. We're going to knock through these. I want to mention Brian Curry. Again, Brian Curry's been selling real estate all over San Diego County for more than 25 years. He's the best in the business. Jeff and I love talking about him because he's so good at what he does. He can find you the home you need anywhere throughout the county. Most importantly, get the most for your home right now if you're in the market to sell. Spoke to a friend of mine just the other day who said somebody knocked on their door and said, we want to buy your house. Their house isn't for sale. Well, this is what we're giving you. They said, guess what? Our house is for sale. 
now all of a sudden <laughs> looking for a place to move and they couldn't find it. So they're, they're in the rental market all of a sudden. But again, this is the time that you're never going to see again. More than likely, talk to Brian Curry, get on the same page and figure out what you can get for the value of your home and where you're going next. 619-251-1588. 619-251-1588. Dave, I like that story because it's fun. But the part that scares me is, do you know that you got fair value for the house? The guy that knows that better than anybody is BC, Brian Curry. So I, I would say yes. Those kind of stories are fun, but when you are either purchasing a home or selling a home, man, it is a big decision that's not only going to impact you, but it's probably going to impact your kids and maybe even a little further down the line. So why gamble and not uh, and on taking a chance on getting something wrong? Make sure you get it right. The guy who's going to help you do that is Brian Curry. Taylor May Pools, Alan Taylor standing by again to build the pool of your dreams. So many people have noticed since COVID. And again, right now that, hey, it's hard to get out and find your entertainment dollars worth. Guess what? You create great memories right in your own backyard. Taylor May Pools, Alan Taylor can build a pool of your dream. 619-449-4452. 619-449-4452. Uh, in L.A. yesterday, it was about 85 degrees up there. Kidding. I was up there, too. Uh, came down here, it's about 65 degrees, but it doesn't matter. Man, right now, when you got playoff baseball going on, NBA's getting ready to go, the NHL's going, so many great things. Think about some of those great backyards you've seen with the pool, the jacuzzi, the TVs, the sound system. All of it can be yours. But it starts with that call to tailor-made pools. I would invite you to go to DaveAndJeffShow.com. Go to the sponsor page. Take a look at what Alan has done for your neighbors. Why are you letting them have all the fun while you're sitting over there playing uh, lawn darts? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to practice putting in the backyard. It's all boring. <laughs> uh, go to uh, tailor-made pools. Give them a call. Tell them Dave and Jeff sent you. And Dan Williams is your guy again right now. Don't forget about the Bar Smart 2-Minute Tuesday. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. 2-Minute Tuesday. Check out his YouTube channel. We'll give you some tips. That will help you out financially. He wants to help you get out of debt. Would it be great to be debt-free? So many of you rung up those credit cards like you wouldn't believe. Dan Williams is the guy to help you out. Also, if you don't own a home, we'll get you out of the rental market as well. Call Dan, 858-688-6813, 858-688-6813. Got a nice call from Dan Williams today. Checked in. He said, how was the weekend? I go, good. He goes, I have a question for you. Oh, shit. He said, what did you mean last week when you said I'd quit everything for Maria's oh, good I thought it was a shot at I me. said whatever she asked me to quit I would quit Dan he goes yeah I probably would too <laughs> quit running bikes I did Dan quit running around <laughs> Dan posted a picture did you see where Dan was yesterday no where was he, he at? was out front of the it'll do motel really that was the name of the motel it'll do motel like yeah it's not great but it'll do and, uh, <laughs> he goes man I'd like to be in here for the marketing plan so I was talking to him because my son, Jack, pointed out, Dave, I have a question for you. You're yeah. a numbers guy. You're an L.A. guy. How many donuts do you think are made and sold today from Randy's oh, Donuts? Oh, funny as hell. Because last night, I'm coming out of SoFi Stadium. We'll talk more about this on Wednesday. And there's a line of people there. And Randy's has the iconic, I don't know, is that 20 feet high? Oh, my God. It's the biggest damn donut ever. And we were Dan and I were talking about it today. Could you imagine trying to get that approved in the city of San Diego with zoning laws? Forget it. Nothing done. How many do you think are sold today? And what do you think that Randy's Donuts does a year in business I'm in a, L.A.? I'm going to go 10,000 donuts a day. And what do you think they do a year? I'm going to go, uh, I'll go something crazy. I'll go 10 million. Uh, not 10 million, but we looked it up last night. Very close, Dave. 8,000 a day. So I said to my son, wow. I go, which job would you rather have? 
Would you rather be the guy who has to make 8,000 goddamn donuts a day? <laughs> or would you want to be the guy at SoFi Stadium that has to go through and pull all the cups out? Oh, Jesus. He goes, dang, there's a lot more than 8,000 people at SoFi. I think I'll be the guy at Randy's Donuts. 3.6 million a year. Good for them. And I think Dan's going to do a two-minute Tuesday because it's the benefit of marketing. Because I said, Andy's Donuts down the street might be good. He's next to a goddamn shoe repair shop. Nobody knows who the fuck Andy is, <laughs> but everybody wants to see Randy. So, uh, yeah, look for that two-minute Tuesday, but fun to talk to Dan. Can help you with your credit, 858-688-6813. And finally, I want to mention Kyle Fluger. Again, Kyle Fluger is the guy to help you build that website or repair that website. You're looking to build a brand-new website. Kyle's your guy. He's a guy that would not give up everything for Marie Osmond. He is definitely a guy that he would wouldn't say, give up hiking. I love hiking and camping. 619-500-6621. 619-500-6621. All right, I made a huge mistake. This is right along Flugs, but you guys ever go down the rabbit hole that's YouTube and you can find all kinds of cool videos. So the other yes. day I looked at this thing and it was guys that were building shelters in Alaska. And these guys are like army corporals and lieutenant generals, whatever the fuck, <laughs> high-ranking army guys. And they're just going out. They basically have a machete. And by the half hour later in this video, they have a 400-square-foot cabin with goddamn running water. You go, how'd this guy do it? But YouTube figures out the algorithm. Yeah. And now they just keep sending me all these. And because I'm a very simple-minded guy, I love watching all these people. Brett, they're in the middle of these cabins. They're out here building. It's like 90 below. And they're showing everybody, if we ever find ourselves in that situation, how to survive. I'm like, when am I ever going to be 90 below? Although you were just up in Idaho, Brett. These may be uh, very convenient for you. I'm still wheeling from this new TikTok, these TikTok videos. I can't stop watching. That's this guy right over here. I I, I never knew. I thought, uh, TikTok. TikTok's for children. Now I'm watching it, and my kids are like, Dad, quit watching TikTok. I can't stop. And it's like, I don't even watch TikTok. I'm on Instagram, and they TikTok me from Instagram. I have a question for you. So I'm pretty simple-minded as well. I have a question for you, Booney. You played in the bigs for how many years? How many? Fourteen. 14-year big league career. Outstanding. You, you talked about earlier. Gold glove, silver slugger, huge highs. You've been very candid on this show in the past. You've had your low moments in, in baseball. But no matter where you were, no matter what media market, have you ever taken tougher criticism in your life from the media, from talk radio, from coaches, managers, than you take directly from your kids who look you right in the eye? No. And just talk to you like right. you're the lowest form. Like you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> they take such pleasure in it. Oh, it's a, it's it's unbelievable. And does it's like, anything Dad, like, you, like you would know, Dad. Like you would know. You have no idea. <laughs> He's getting it four times over. You're right. I, I have no idea. I've never done anything stupid. I never did that dumb thing that you just does did. Does anything strike you funnier, though, that when they start ganging up on you and just... Because it is kind of funny. It does make me laugh. I don't even get angry. Uh, You know, I'll have, and Dave knows my kids very well. I'll have Isaiah saying, Dad, you have no clue. (laughs) And I'll I'll look at him. I said, that's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) You telling me I have no clue. But they they have no filter. And to us, there's nothing any of us could have possibly done in life that they could give a shit about. It doesn't matter. No, no, they have no idea. We're lucky to know them. 
Not the other way around. <laughs> Correct. It's, Correct. The, it's the absolute greatest. All right, here we go. So here's two games that we play. We always do a how old are they and how much are they worth. Jeff is either red hot or he misses. I think I'm 5-0 and oh against Booney in this competition. <laughs> There's absolutely no chance we've Have ever played. Have I ever played? played? No. Oh, okay. I just made that up. I was going to say, wow. To, I just wanted to try to claim some kind of accomplishment. Booney, this is a fun game. How old are they and how much are they worth? You're going to like this. All right. This is uh, birthdays. This is going October 19th tomorrow, which is actually my mom's birthday as well. So here we go. We're going Evander Holyfield. All right. How old? So, Booney, what we're looking for, how old and what do you think he's worth? Okay. Well, the thing is, on the computer, yes. what they say they're worth, it, right. it could be a third of that. They have we no challenge idea. it. How did they invest their money? Yes. So the worth is so far off. But, okay. So my question is, Evander Holyfield, how Tough old times. do I I'll think he is? Tough times. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Evander's about 56. I'm going to say 59. Exactly right, 59. You, you, he doesn't know. Am I getting set up? No, no not okay. at all. No, okay. Okay. He's either now right I'm going to say what Google, <laughs> what Google will say he's yes, worth. Yes, there you go. That's yeah. the game. That's how we do it. 60, 65 million. That's what yeah. he should be worth. Yeah, that's what he should be worth. Jeff Dines. Jeff's a boxing guy. Unfortunately, I think it's more like Dave. I'm going to say $2 million. $1 million. God damn, Booney. Oh, you know this what? I, I, I got no chance in this game. <laughs> no. you're, you're too wise. You're no, too wise. It, it no, he just knows boxing. All right, here we go. John Favreau. You're a John Favreau fan? Actor, director. I know exactly who okay. he is. Okay. This is a good one. You can let Jeff go first if you want. Yeah, I'll go first. I'm going to say he's, I'm going to take Brett's number. I'm going to say he's 56. And because he directed all those movies and continues to direct movies, I'm going to say, Dave, I'm going to go 110 million. He's 49. Ooh. 65 million. Okay, it's 54, and Jeff nailed it, $110 million. Come on! I swear Tony, to God. Say, no, man, you can't just nail God, things. You dude, bring me into this, this garage. stupid shit all the time. You shut the door. You put dude, I'm telling you, he has some no idea. sort of gas no. in here, <laughs> and all of a sudden he kicks my butt in this, he has, ga- this he has silly no game. Idea. That's that apparently I played before. No, he, he's not. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Jeff's trying to go six and up. Okay, here we go. Kobe Bryant's dad, Joe Jellybean Bryant. All right. Jesus Christ. There's no way you do Does he get any of Kobe's money? No, I don't think so. Jelly. Okay, Kobe's dad. Shit. I'm going to say he's 80. I'm going to say he's turning 80, Brett. And I'm going to say he's worth, uh, I don't know, how could he even be? I'm going to say he's worth. Uh, he did. His, he, remember, Kobe gave him a team in Europe to coach. He owned the team and he gave it to his dad. I'm going to say 1.5 million. 80? 80 years old, Brett. And I'm going to say 1.5 million. I'll just I'm tell no you he's idea. wrong on both. 69 and 6. Pretty close. 67 and 5. That's Pretty good. Close. See, well, that, you're right back in the game. Well, that's because I just looked at the cue card. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one on here. John Lithgow. Oh, that's a good one. Booney, you want to go first? You want me to? I, I want to go second. I'm in the catbird seat. You're the here. man. John Lithgow, really funny in a couple of different movies. I think. What movies? Uh, World According to Garp, where he was, was the big, movie. tall. It's a great movie. And he was so funny. Played former tight end for the Eagles. Yes. <laughs> Transgender. Um, let's say he's 71, and I'm going to say 17 million. 74 and 9. Uh, 76 and 50. $50 million. 50. All right, I'm horrible at okay. this game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, it's always fun. We just do random birthdays. All right, here we go. Five random questions that are all straight for Brett. All right, okay. besides your dad, who was your first favorite baseball player? <laughs> 
Oh, love that. You're assuming dad was one of my favorite baseball players. <laughs> no. Uh, f- favorite, first favorite, last favorite guy I'd still watch today, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. What All was right. Pete Rose like to you as a kid? Tremendous. Was he? Yes. Always fun. Uh, and his son and you were the same age, correct? Yeah, busting chops from start to finish, from sun up to sundown, just giving me a hard time about and everything. And that had to me. And I loved it. It had to be, right? Because how old were you cool. at that time? He's the ultimate base, he was the ultimate baseball player. Yeah. You know? And there were so many times I had with Pete, and I'd go, and I'd stay at his house, and I, I just loved it because he was different than my dad. You know, yeah. your dad's your dad. Of course. And, and after a while, it's like, no, I don't want to hang around my dad. I want to yeah. hang out with the cool dad. Yeah. Because we're never cool. We've already established yeah. that. Yeah. Pete's got the pool. But Pete, it, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, sure, and I'm sure Petey, Petey Jr. wanted to go to my dad's yeah. house. You know, it's just the way it is. So, uh, I, yeah, I loved it. And, but at that age, how old are you at that age? Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Right. That's a great and age. And so Pete Rose is—he's not Pete Rose. He's your buddy Pete. He's my buddy Pete. Yeah, I didn't care. I—I I, I didn't see any of those guys as anything yeah. other than you know. Dad, but he dad's looked forward co-worker. to seeing you. It's a little bit like we saw with. He Dick. looked forward to giving me a hard time. Dude, that makes it even better. Yeah, that yeah. makes it even. Just curious, did Larry Boa treat you well? Same. Really? Yeah. Larry was great because you were a shortstop. Oh, and- no, but Larry. Oh, Larry's great. I love okay. him. And and. It was the it was the best some of the best stories I have playing against Larry, because Larry he's wound up so tight you know yeah. And, yeah and he was always the one in the clubhouse I remember being loud and then he'd stand behind Luzinski and go yeah you talk to him, <laughs> but I play against him and Larry when he became you know the manager yeah. I mean he would blow his top so I remember mm-hmm. we pull into Phillies managing the Phillies and I'm on that I, I think it was oh three. With the Mariners, and we had interleague play, and we were hot. We had won like seven in a row, and I remember seeing Larry, and I called him out. He was in the dugout watching us hit batting practice. I said, Larry, come on out. And we're on fire. And I look at him, and I say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come in here. We're going we're gonna to whip your butt four straight, and then we're going to leave. It's not going to be a big deal. You know, you, you get all worked up in the dugout, and, he, and I'm working him up. Yeah. And I'm kidding, but he's not thinking I'm kidding. He ends up storming away, flipping me the bird, <laughs> going into the dugout. Flipping you the bird. And every day I'd come to the plate. And, and in Philly, I mean, in old veteran stadium, you're close to that dugout. Yeah. I can see everything Larry's doing. And I'm hitting right-handed. I'm staring at him. And he's just giving me that look like, <laughs> like you're, not, you're not that little snot-nosed kid anymore. You know, now, yeah. we're, now we're peers <laughs> so we can awesome. fight. But uh Oh, I still love Larry. I love it. That 1980s Phillies team oh, is one of my greatest great. memories as a, yeah, as a little great. kid. The but, fact that you got to wear the uniform and be a bat boy during but, that time but was the incredible. Thing is, right. And the thing is, you know, I look back on those times a lot, and I just think, at the time, I was so naive. I didn't know what I was getting into. And then when you when you grow up and you learn to appreciate stuff, and you've been there and you've done that, you look back and go, how cool Dude, was that yeah. at eight and, and nine, you appreciate it? Yeah, but at the time yeah. you don't because you think, yeah. no, this is, I'm just going to work with dad. But when you look back and Pete Rose is waiting to talk shit to you at oh. eight or nine, it's yeah. about the coolest shit ever. Yeah, it's, Pete's it's great. funny. It's That's funny. awesome. All right, what is uh, the Boone's favorite family memory around baseball? Mm. Really? Man. I got a guess. There yeah, I got a guess too. There's one that jumped right to my mind. That's yeah. what I'm surprised. The, fa- the favorite family memory. memory. Family. family memory. Okay. 
Okay, so all-encompassing. I, I couldn't name a favorite. Uh, I mean, you got the 1980 World Championship. You got your the, brother hitting the home run. That hitting the home run. The with Series. him in the booth. Yes, with him in the booth. That's One, what of, I was the, one of the coolest say. for me. Yeah, Aaron. Um, Aaron hitting the homer. And your son being drafted. Being on the float. Your son drafted. Being at, mm. on the float. My son being drafted is pretty cool. I'll tell you, in 2003... Uh, in Chicago at the All-Star game. Aaron made his first All-Star game. My dad was there, and my grandpa was there. Oh. And for my grandpa to see that, everything kind of, you know, stems around that. Now it's it, everything's around dad. Yeah. yeah. And I see the look in my dad's eye when Jake gets a hit, and it's just like, you know, he's on the, he's on the verge of tears <laughs> for anything. And, and it's... It's it's just I think we all we're all going to be there one day when you get you get a little bit older and, and you appreciate life and you look at life a little bit differently. But all the gifts we've we've had bestowed upon us, especially in the game of baseball, my family and to watch my dad now interact with my son because my you know, my son just finished his first year a ball and just the the just how proud of a grandpa he is and just to watch Jake and and, and it's just all about him. That was how it was for me with my grandfather. And when I made it to the big leagues and I was the first gener- third generation, oh, man, Gramps would walk around with his chest pumped out telling anybody in his wake how great his grandson was. And then his other grandson made it. And I just saw the pride, how proud he was. And then the, the next step was, well, there's never been a third generation. that They were all all-stars. But Gramps, I had made an all-star team, Dad and Gramps, and all of a sudden Aaron did. And that was kind of the end for Gramps. You know, that's right before he passed away. And I just remember we have a picture of it on the field, and Gramps was there, and that's what it was about for me. We got to do an interview, and I, I forget who did the interview, but Gramps is in the room, Dad, Aaron, and myself. And uh, I look back, and I, see, I just see the look on his face. And I see that look on my that's dad's cool. face now. He's just so proud and so emotional about everything. It's it's kind of cool. It's really cool. So yeah. human. It, it humanizes you so much. You know all the great things my dad's done in this game, and you know from from the from the playing side to the managing side mm-hmm. to to being an executive mm-hmm. with the Washington National. I'm so proud of all the things my dad's done. But to watch him now and, and just how much he appreciates the life he's been able to lead, it's really kind of cool to see. Funny, he was one of my favorite players growing up. And the thing that I loved about him is catching growing up. But but what I loved was your dad was just so solid in everything that he did. And I remember watching as a kid – he wasn't a guy that you you saw interviewed a lot, but when he did, you listened to what he said. You could tell that he knew the game that he was talking. I, I texted you a picture about six weeks ago. I'm with my buddies. We're down at uh, Latitude in PB, and we're just over having a burger and beer watching Monday Night Football, and I turn around, and here's this insanely cool picture of your dad. Yeah. And I go, Hold, did you know that was in there? Had you seen that? No. Latitude 32 down in PB. And you look, Dave, and it's just, you know how they do random pictures. Here's a picture of Bob, like an action shot. Yeah. And I go, holy shit, that's Bob. So I, I texted it to Brett. We know that kids dismiss their parents immediately. Now, right. we know your kids are incredibly proud of you, but bullshit. You'll <laughs> ever hear that oh, never. directly. Never. But tell me, and we know grandparents are proud of grandkids. They can do no wrong. But for your sons... When they look at 
Aaron, when they look at your dad, when they look at your grandfather, what do you hear from your kids about the tradition of the game within your family from your brother, your dad, and your grandfather? Well, I think it, 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 that comes with, you know, uh, life experience. Yeah. You know, Jakey Boone, when he was 15 years old, yeah, he knew who his dad was. He knew who his grandpa was. But it's like, so what, Dad? I, I got to go play in this tournament with my buddies. I yeah. don't care about you guys. I think as Jake gets older, the older you get, you have an appreciation for it. You yeah. start to turn into a, you go from a young man to a, a mature man, and all of a sudden you, you start looking at it. I remember when I was a kid, I was, get out of my way. I don't care what my dad does, what my grandpa does. I got to do this yeah. myself. And as I grew and matured and, and went through some, some humbling times in, in the game that I loved, I had an appreciation for what came before me. But that yeah. takes time. And, sure. and I think we don't put it on our kids they're kids for a reason. Yeah. They don't need that burden of, hey, you, you acknowledge what I did. In time, that yeah. will be acknowledged, just like I did. When, I, when, when Grandpa, for me, my grandpa, he was my first influence baseball-wise. Yeah. But I didn't sit there and go, wow, Gramps, you were an unbelievable baseball player. I just knew that was my buddy that would get up at 5 in the morning and put the catcher's gear on. How now, cool. as I got How older, cool as, as I grew older, I, I, I grew to respect, no, this guy what grandpa did man he was a really good player and the, you know and he's yeah. kind of the, the patriarch of our team so that just the fondness grows with maturity and yeah. and you you see him for what they are but as a little kid i don't want to ever put that on a kid you, no. you're a kid for a reason because you yeah. don't need to be worrying about doing this and that yes respect your elders but you don't have to be worrying about how how great we were before you. Hopefully, we set a good enough example as dads, as human beings, that you respect us just as much for that as what we did on the field. But I, I just meant, sorry, Dave. No my follow-up on that, Brett, was the point of that being, your grandfather, from what I saw, never had the chance to meet him. Same with your dad, never had the chance to meet him. But from what I've seen, they're not guys that are going to pound their own drum. Not at all. They're not going to tell you about what they accomplished in this game. No. We have fun with you. You've been a buddy to this show for more than 20 years. Aaron's a guy who just goes about his business and does it. So that's why I was saying it almost feels like the appreciation your kids would have taking their dad out of the equation, but for their uncle, their grandfather, and their dad's grandfather would have to be more generic, almost self-driven to say, holy shit, man, like, okay, I know what dad did pretty cool, but what Aaron did, what my grandfather did, oh, yeah. what my great-grandfather, that is Pretty cool. Yeah, and they have questions about their great grandpa. Like, hey, was grandpa that re he was really that good at this and this? I said he led the league in RBIs one Fuck. year, and you know, and he, yeah. awesome. And they think it's cool. And and yeah. as they get older, they'll think it's cooler and cooler. Just yeah. like I did, I grew into it. You know, I remember Gramps. Gramps is just Gramps. He'd pick yeah. me up, take me to Del Mar Racetrack, and <laughs> hey, did Grandma pack the bologna sandwiches? But then it turned into more of that, and especially, uh, you know, when he got sick and he was going to pass away. It's like now things get really real and yeah. you start to look at things and appreciate things even more than you did before. Yeah. And that's, that's just life being life and going through it. But, uh, man, I've, I've been pretty blessed. And you talk about my dad and, and we're oil and water, you know, we're the yeah. opposite personality wise. I don't know on one hand that I can count people. Uh, he's one of the highest character men I've ever met. Yeah. Not just because he's my dad, but because he's that good of a man. Yeah. Now, he's the type of guy that, you know, runs a red light and writes himself a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Bob is I mean, the most humble and, guy going. Oh, and he's, I tease yeah. him all the time, and me and him go yeah. back and forth because, like I said, no, Dave knows we're oil and water. We're yeah. <laughs> polar opposite personalities, but we get along really well, and and there's a mutual respect there, and we always have got along really yeah. well. Uh, there's a time to be a dad, and there's a time to be a professional, and and he really knows how to do that. He's helped me a ton in my life. He's um, he left me alone as a kid. He, there, there wasn't an ounce of pressure I ever felt to succeed or be this, be be great at 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 the game that he kind of introduced me to. Yeah. It was always, hey, we'll support you in whatever you do. And I try to do that with my kids. Hopefully, I do as good a job. If I do as good a job as he did, then then, then everybody he, wins. He did he did a heck of a job with me, him and mom both. But uh, just a high high integrity man. Uh, just a more just. The character that he has, you know, and I tease when I say he writes himself a ticket, but but he really does. I <laughs> yeah. mean, if he found a wallet with a million dollars and like he'd be like, all right, I got to put another dollar in there. So it'll be a million and one dollar. So they know not only did I not steal, but I added to to make yeah. sure and, and in case a dollar fell out. Just the type of guy he is. He you know, always has been. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I've been lucky enough to be around their family for, for a while. I'm lucky mm-hmm. enough to coach uh, Brett's three sons, but... I'm a huge fan of your dad, obviously, and Aaron used to come out and support the guys when we were in Arizona, and it was great, too. But, Bob, I don't think a lot of people realize, number one, went to Stanford. I mean, you know how hard yeah. it is oh, to go to Stanford? Yeah. Two is he, he, he's much bigger than people think. I mean, he's a big dude. What's your dad, about 6'4"? 6'3", and he's shrinking. And, and, I mean, wow. he's a huge guy. To think that he yeah. played in the big leagues, what, 24 years? To catch that long? Yeah. I mean, absolutely incredible, but... He's uh, he's he's such a good guy. I'm so proud of of Brett and Aaron and, and your, your other brother and and of course his grandsons. But it's fun to watch. But one of my favorite things about your dad is I, I saw your mom and I was asking how's everything going, and she said we're going on a cruise. And I said you are, and she said, yeah, it's a reunion of the 1980 Philadelphia Phillies World Series team, and uh, it's a free cruise. And your dad just looked at me and rolled his eyes like, she wants to go on a cruise. Like, your dad had no desire to go talk to fans that have followed this team for 40 years. And your dad's well, like... Well, he probably do that. He just doesn't need to do it in a boat in yeah, the middle of anywhere, was, right? So, Can so, we do this at the West It's so funny. but and, and again, your mom doesn't... It didn't play in the big leagues, but think about it. His mom had to hold everything together while his dad was playing with Shoot, these three boys. After Graham, I'll tell you, Sue Boone and, and you know, we talk about patriarchs. Yes. There's a matriarch. Yeah, I challenge anyone on this planet to have more experience in the game of baseball. Holy cow! Right? From the female side yep. of the ledger than Sue Boone. Yeah. Now it was my grandma Patsy. She had the most ever because not only was did Grandpa play for a long time, but the day he died, he was still uh, uh, employed by the Boston Red Sox. So he had forty years in the game after he finished playing, Damn. and he had forty like scouting years. Where all right, Patsy, get in the RV and we're going to <laughs> Arizona. How long are we going to be there, honey? Oh, about a month and a half, and you're going to keep score of every single game. And my grandma would go over wow. there with a scorebook, and uh, so she's the kind of she's seen more probably than anybody. But but I was adding it up. I was talking to her, teasing her about it the other day because mom's proud of her family as well. Yeah. But I just think, mom, how many games do you think you've been to? She goes, well, between you and your two brothers growing up, and your father, of course, and Ray before him. 
Well, not to mention all the grandkids that I go to all their games. And, you know, Holy I mean, shit. you think about it. Yeah. Dad played for 19 years. Oh, 19. Okay. I played for 14. Aaron played for 12 or 13 yeah. years. Matthew played through the minor leagues. And we haven't got to the grandkids yet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, mom's logged a lot of she's games, a, a lot of carpools. So she's a pretty oh, she's special great. lady. All right, let me fire through these. So, okay. So here we are in a room. It's you, your brother, Aaron, and Bob. And your son, Jake, all in a room. Does the topic of baseball never come up at any time? Or is it always, always lead back to baseball? Always go back to baseball. Has to, right? Always. But how much is it directly involved with you guys? Well, and how much is what we're seeing tonight? It's what we're seeing. It usually revolves around Aaron. Because the rest oh, of us okay. aren't playing anymore. Now, you put it back 20 years ago, and you put us in a room, and it's Aaron... Myself, dad, and grandpa. Now, those are the fun conversations. Because Aaron and myself, we were currently playing. Mm -hmm. Dad, I think, was managing. And Gramps was, you know, scouting. Yeah. So we'd start those arguments at the table. And then Aaron and myself, we'd just kind of goad them on. Like, we'd say yeah. stuff just to get the, <laughs> just to stir it up. And that yeah. was fun. Uh, today's, there's going to be healthy debate. D Dad would love to debate me on everything. If it's red, he'll say it's eh, it's off red, Brad. <laughs> Just so we can debate about it. Yeah. And in the end, we usually have similar conclusions. Um, but if Aaron, myself, and Dad are in the room and the game's on, or you know, it could be a Yankee game. And mm -hmm. hey, what do you think about that move? To there's going to be debate in that room. It's going to stay in that room. If Jake's in the room, it's usually going to be about Jake and talk about hitting and and thought process and the mental approach to the game. And what do you do in this situation with the base open with the guy on the guy on deck? Did you discuss it before you went up, whether he's going to come at you or he's going to come after the guy on deck, the high level stuff that we love talking about. And then Jake's usually the one like, what do you do in that situation, Jake? Well, he'll put his two cents in and Aaron might have something to mm -hmm. say. Dad might have something different. It's just good, but it's love constantly, it. it's good because Jake's constantly learning. He's getting input from so many different sources, and Jake's smarter. He's smarter than all of us. He's a Princeton grad, so he just can oh, decipher, take what he wants, and, and, yeah. and use it for what will benefit him. Dave, hang on. Yeah. Questions about the Yankees with you and Aaron, initiated by you, initiated by Aaron. During the season, I might call him up sometimes, and I'll ask about certain players mm -hmm. and what's going on here and why. But now you're if, a member of the media. Does if he something talk to comes up, anything? yeah, but I, I try to steer away from that as much as I can. I try to leave yeah. him. He doesn't tell you don't say this on coach's show. Come on, he never, Brit. no. Listen, listen. It, it doesn't matter if you got the pinstripes up. It's it's obvious who the older brother is. Yeah, and I do okay. run the show. Yeah, that's the way my older brother. I was thinking. No, my uh, older brother would call and tell me anything, whether I wanted to hear it or not. But I don't think I'd call him and say it. That's what I'm wondering. That Aaron, dynamic never changes. Aaron and my relationship is very. I leave him. You know what? I I treat Aaron like I treat my son. I try to be hands-off. If yeah. Jake calls me for advice, I got all the advice in the world for you. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the best advice I can. I try to be that way with Aaron because he's in that dugout. He's in that pressure cooker. He's got a big job with a lot of people in his ear on a daily basis. Sometimes he'll just call me and go, Brett, I got this scenario. What do you think? I like that. And I'm going to cool. give him the best advice that a big brother can give him yeah. from, from not only an analytical position, a baseball position, but a big, a big brother position, a family yeah. position. Usually that's how the conversation goes. And the rest of the time throughout the course of the, the year, he might call me and go, Hey, that move I made, what do you think? 
And I'll tell, like I'll that. be honest with him. Yeah. He, he wants me to be honest yeah. and give him feedback. So I'll be honest. Sometimes I agreed with the move. Sometimes I didn't, but I'm going to let him know. I'm not going to let yeah. him know in a mean, you're so yeah. stupid kind of way. Yeah. Be like, here, this is what I would have done. Think about this the next time you do this. And instead of doing this, make this move. And he'll go, yeah. You know, so I usually wait for him to come to me. Yeah. Because once again, he's in that Yankee dugout. He's there on a daily basis. He's got mm-hmm. the weight of the world on him. He's got everybody. He's got a you know, answer yeah. to so many people when you're in New York. I don't want to add to that. Yeah. But if he needs some advice or some uh, just a, someone, a soundboard, yeah. he'll call me and ask. And usually that's when I'll bring it out. But for the most part, if I make a phone call to Aaron during the season, it's just usually as a brother to cool. say, how it's you doing, cool. man? Everything all right? And I, and I stay away from baseball. If he wants to talk about it, I'll talk about it. That's cool. I always find it interesting that you'll send your kids to Aaron during the season. And they'll be hanging out at his house during the summer, but he has such a high-profile job, right. and then he's now he's not oh, as responsible for his big family. You know, as and your by kids the way, you know, as much as as uh, my kids don't really care who I am or who yeah. their grandfather is or who their great grandfather, they don't care who the Yankee manager <laughs> is. <either. laughs> All right, here we go. Not counting the city you lived in, what is the best baseball city? City, what do you mean? So, city I live so, in? so, not counting San Diego, not counting Seattle, not oh, counting you Atlanta, mean not Cincinnati. counting cities I played yes. in. What is the so best travel city? Oh, oh, by far for me, favorite best New York. Really? Yeah. If I can go, what was it? The St. Louis crap. That's what I was wondering. No, if I can go to anywhere, anywhere in the big leagues for a three-game mm-hmm. series with something on the line. It's not even a question. I'm going old Yankee Stadium. That's right. There's just... nothing even close. Cool. All right, last question for you. What's the one thing you would change about baseball? Make third base first base, because then I'd be a step and a half out of the box after I make <laughs> there that. You go. How about that? Game's right? built for lefties. No. If I can change one thing about the game, this is a personal thing with me. I'd revert some of the rules that have been made recently. I'd, you're allowed to you're allowed to have contact with the catcher, and the second base, uh, the tag plays I get rid of that you have to physically put it on them. Ball beat you, you're out. I think there's more injuries, and and this is a completely selfish reason. I played a position second base, middle infield's a middle infield. How we earn our stripes, how we separate, how you separate yourself from being a good player to a great player is how you how you turn a double play how you interact around the bag i think nowadays with the rules the way they are anybody can be a good second baseman anybody can turn a double you got third baseman turning double plays out there i don't like it i like the contact i've seen so many plays in this postseason at home and i'm always you're always hearing what a great slide well those slides are easy when the catcher can't block you out of the way yeah. I want the old school where there was some gamesmanship to it. And you got to take a punch as a catcher. I understand. You know, when I step outside the box, from a fiscal standpoint, I understand if I'm an owner and I got $20 million in a catcher, I don't want to get them blown out. But I think it takes away a lot from the game. It's just different. We used to, man, we had to fight for that plate. You had to fight for second base. I knew some guy was trying to knock me in the left field. And, and your greatness comes by turning it right in their face. 
And I love that about the game. And I think it loses a little bit when you make everybody equal and anybody can go turn a double play and anybody can play on this side of the infield and that side of the infield. So there'd be little changes, nothing major. I just really like those two aspects of the game. I think it's what separates from the good from the great. Booney, hype the podcast before we kick you out of here. <laughs> hype the podcast. Uh, podcast going good. BrettBoonePodcast.com is where you can get it all. I was saying Apple, Stitcher, but Perfect. go to my website. You got it all. We got some good ones coming up. Uh, who's coming up? We got, let's see, we got, uh, who's, who's you just out had Randy today? Myers. We have Randy Myers. You know what? I got a really interesting one coming out on Friday. Uh, Pat Williams. Oh, he's oh, a yeah. great guy. Great Unbelievable guy. resume, isn't it? Yep. Dude, Dude love that Until guy. I dig into it, I'm like, Pat, you got 51 That's years ridiculous. in the NBA, and you started out as he's a minor league catcher. So I got him, and then I've got uh, Jim Palmer ah. and uh, Buck Showalter next week. Oh, so that's awesome. Got a good lineup coming All right, up. before you go, because it hasn't been announced, tell me right now your guess, who you would like it to be, who it will be. They can be the same guy. Who would you like to be the Padre manager? Who do you think will be? The Padre manager. I think Bruce already... Bochy and Bruce Bochy. You think it'll be Boch? Yeah. God damn, I hope it'll you're be He's been else. too quiet. I haven't heard from yeah. him. Yeah. Interesting. Not that me and Boch talk all the time. I hear you. But it's just been too quiet. Oh, Bochy, hell, Bochy and Bochy. Is that what he's going to tell you? He was going to say, ha ha, Boney. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, if he asked you to be on that staff, would you do it? Certain guys I would do it for. Bruce Bochy is one of those men. God damn, that'd be fun. That'd be, there's a candidate. I'll tell you on Wednesday's show who um, said no, he's not interested. He told me on Saturday. Literally, was he coach? Talk, li, no, well, I'll tell you exactly. It, was not, not it wasn't Bochy and it wasn't coach. I got a I'll radio you, show. One of the do. candidates that his name has been mentioned as a possible candidate for the Padre job literally said not interested. Told me on Saturday. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you. On, That's I'll quite tell you, the tease. We'll look forward to it. Brett, thank you so much. You're the Thanks, best. Booty. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, brother. Like they're making the USA. That guy with the attitude, he better go away. 
content video game Put a smile on my face That stop sign was paralyzed But I ran it anyway Soundproof fence and a handyman Cussing on TV What Californian cussed their own Christmas tree Boy, you better watch out For that sneaky back screen door I laughed so hard I 